Mac Power Users, episode 665, covered in paper cuts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mac Power Users. I am David Sparks, and I am joined by the esteemed Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I like esteemed. That's pretty good. Well, I I feel like you've earned it. You have earned it. Hmm. You've earned over $2 million for charity with a little help. You're a smart guy. Now you are a a professional calendar packer. I mean, (laughs) you are truly a renaissance man. Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, last night, I hit the halfway point on fulfilling my Kickstarter, so that's very exciting. I am just, uh, I'm just covered in paper cuts. Like, <laughs> I bet you are. You should get some gloves, don't you? Just yeah, but then like gloves. my hands get. So I was like, well, I'll wear latex gloves because I'm going to the post office every day. I've gotten to know the lovely ladies at my local post office very well, and one of them wears. Like silicon gloves, like you would wear like in a hospital or something, right? And so yeah. I asked her, I was like, hey, is that so you are less likely to get paper cuts? And she was like, yeah, you know, sometimes like things are, you know, sticky or like, you know, I just want to keep my hands nice. Like, yeah, I, I agree. But my hands, this is probably gross, but this, it's a feedback episode. There's no rules here. Yeah. I wear them when I work on my truck. So if I change the oil on my truck, I'll wear a set of gloves. Um, same type deal. And I'm not really a sweaty person normally, but my hands get so sweaty in gloves. Even like the two days a year we get snow and I will will wear gloves outside. My hands like freak out. I can't do it. So I just have like uh, a little tube of neosporin here in my office and I just keep putting it on places that I slice open on calendars and envelopes. I'm missing you a link because I have these gloves I buy for the garden and they have rubber on the front of them, but the back of them is fabric. And they breathe. So I, I, I will solve your problem for okay. you. I'm going to send you a link. And it's like, you get like six pair for like $15. It's, they're great. So, That'd be um, great. I will, well, I'm glad I was able to, to solve that for you. I mean, I think it's a pretty good episode. Like, it's just. Already. We're already bringing the tips, baby. We're already bringing them. Um, speaking of, uh, of buying things, uh, merch nice. is back. Yeah, we've got stuff, right? Um, uh, classy tea. Classy hoodie and classy sweatshirt. And uh, I was looking. These shirts hold up pretty well. I've got several tees. I'm only going to buy one. Um, I want to get the gray one, but I am going to be like, I'm going to be stockpiling in these classy sweatshirts. They look so nice. And they've got the little MPU battery in, uh, embroidered on the front. This is this is no half half measures thing here. It's not like a silkscreen stamp or something. This is thread with a needle getting embroidered on it. It looks really classy. And uh, we would recommend you check it out. We'd love for you to get some. Um, I'm going to be stocking up, um, and I can't wait for mine to arrive. But this is a limited pre-order. They run until November 14th. As this show uh, goes out, I don't think we're going to have another show or maybe just one well, more show. Yeah, well, just one more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's, there's not much time here, guys. This mm-hmm. is the week. So uh, there's a link there. Don't we have a better link though? We have another link, don't we? Uh, MPU merch or something like that. I think we have a vanity URL that we parked at some point. Yeah, I'm just blindly typing things into Safari, but uh, but yeah, it's the top link in the show notes. You can you can find it there. Yeah, go there. Yeah, it's exciting. Just edit point. Should I should I buy a? Uh, I don't think we need to buy a thing, do we? No, no. It's, no, it's okay. the, the top one in the show notes. I, I'll put a little like uh, I'll put a little like rotating light alarm. Emoji next to it. You can't there you go. It. Beep, beep. 
beep. Anyway, these are great. Get 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 one. You'll like it. You know, show your MPU pride. Um, uh, today on more power users, uh, my daughter needed to upgrade her iPhone. We went into the Apple store and had a truly bizarre experience. I don't normally like to be the guy who, you know, moans and whines about Apple store experiences, but this is a weird one. So I thought I'd share it with you as a former Apple employee and get some feedback from you on that. We're going to talk about that today on more power users, but I have a funny slash weird story for you. Yeah, I saw this in the document and I specifically did not ask you about it. So I will be experiencing it in real time with the listeners. Yeah, it's not, I'm not trying to overblow it, but it is odd, you know, anyway, but the, uh, this is a feedback show and we have a ton of feedback. So I think we should just get on with it. Uh, starting with uh, saved PDF. So we mentioned it briefly on our show about Mac OS Ventura. I will, by the time this show airs, I will have a blog post that will link in the show notes with a new video. Um, but this is something weird going on at Apple. So years ago, um, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe, or more, uh, I was just struggling with the thing of, you know, saved a PDF. Like the, the Mac has this great feature and people coming over from PC always were amazed that this was built in, but the Mac has the ability to create a PDF from the print dialog box. So if you go to the lower left corner, there's like a, I think it's save as button. And if you click that, you can save it as a PDF or even using automator, you can like create special scripts to, to save into a specific location. But the idea that you would hit the command P to open the print dialog box and then have to use your mouse like an animal to go down there and push that button <laughs> was just driving me nuts, right? So I came up with the idea of, of saying, well, what if I scripted it with the menu and shortcuts? And this is leading to something, gang, so stick with me. Um, so there is a system on the Mac OS, which I want to talk about in further detail in a moment, where you can take a menu item and turn it into a shortcut. So I did that, and I I use the um, the command save as PDF, which is in that menu in the print dialog box. It's not in a traditional menu. Like if you go in the files app, you've got the file menu up at the top left of the corner. This is a menu that's inside a dialog box. But it, um, the first discovery I made is this works. Like if I if I um, say in you know Apple Mail save as PDF, then go ahead and, you know, trigger that menu item. So that worked great. And then the, the second thing I did was I said, well, what if I just tied it to the same keyboard shortcut, command P, you know, and I didn't know it would work, but it did. So if I, if I hold down the command key and I hit P twice, once opens the print dialog box, the second one triggers the save as, this is a much more efficient way to save any document, particularly emails is where I, I use it as a PDF. And we all run into that. I mean, I did a lot as a lawyer, but I still do it as a non-lawyer where you get an email, maybe it's an expense for your taxes or uh, just something you want to document from your doctor or whatever. Uh, you hit command P and then you hit P again and it, it opens up the save as PDF dialog box for you. And for bonus points, you set up a text expander snippet that will automatically name and date it and everything for you. And in fact, you know what? I'm going to go to that level with this new video. I'm going to show you how to do that too. So, so anyway, I've got this very efficient method and I shared it with the internet as you do. And it was like one of the most popular posts I ever wrote. I mean, if you look, it's like tons of people who have no idea who I am or never listen to Mac power users stumble into this save as PDF thing. In fact, at some point, Apple did a whole post on it on their app store which I got no credit for. I don't know, but it looked to me like very similar to my yeah, idea. It did. I mean, 
<laughs> you know, one of the listeners says that I'm canon now, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, uh, but the uh, so you know they do that. But th- this is the weird part. There's somebody at Apple that has this massive sense of humor about this save as PDF, or there's just a really raging battle going on inside Apple as to whether there should be an ellipses at the end of save as PDF, right? Because historically, uh, originally there was an ellipses there, which you get by hitting command semicolon, you know, it's not three dots, it's an ellipses. And, um, that was the trick that why people could never get it to work because they would put three dots or not anything at all. And it wouldn't work. You have to match the menu command exactly. So, so in the video I did the first time I should, you know, make sure to hit the ellipses or it won't work. Then a few years later, they took it out then they put it back in, then they take it out and they put, they just keep switching their mind on this. And then Mm -hmm. to think, make things even more complicated, I guess they realize how useful this is in Apple mail because now in Apple mail, they have a command that is under, I believe, the file menu. And it's not save as PDF. It's export as PDF with ellipses now, you know? So um, where every other app on your computer, you save as PDF will work. Uh, on the, um, on the uh, you know, mail, if you hit command P, or I, I've saved it as, a, you can also have it export as PDF. So, so there's two different ways to approach it. So this thing is constantly in motion. There's a whole conversation thread in the forums about this. Uh, several people have already figured it out, but I'm going to go ahead and make a video and put it out there. And, uh, and this is a useful shortcut. I'd recommend you try. And like I said, I'll make a video. You can just follow along, set it up. And it's a good way to learn how to use keyboard shortcuts. Uh, they've moved with the new system settings. So you, you don't want to find out where that stuff's located. Anyway, I'll show you the way. But this whole conversation to me got me thinking about the topic of keyboard shortcuts. And uh, this has never been, like, we've had that on our list for years, but I've never felt like it was enough for a whole show. Mm-hmm. But I thought it's certainly enough for a segment on a feedback show. Um, let's talk about keyboard shortcuts kind of in the bigger picture, uh, in addition to my silly little apprentice PDF script. And I wanted to talk through some basics of them and methods to create them and methods to to trigger them, and then maybe kind of talk about what we're doing with them. Yeah, sounds good. So starting with creation, you know, the easiest way to create them and the most universal way is in the system settings, which is a new, um, you know, it's in a new location, but it's been there forever. And you go to keyboard. So on the new system settings, I'm assuming you're on Ventura, you go down to keyboard and then you click, click down and it's just a little button. It says keyboard shortcuts with an ellipses at the end. (laughs) So you click that. And then you're presented with another menu with another left-facing, uh, you know, set of lists that you can go through. And what you want is the one that's, and there's one here, there's like 12 of them here. And this is another reason why people never find this. So first you got to find a little isolated button buried in one section of system settings. Then you got to go through a list there to figure out what you want. But what you want is app shortcuts, which is third from the bottom on my list at least. Um, and then you can start adding shortcuts specific to applications. Like, for example, uh, in mail, I've got one called export as PDF with an ellipses. And I just added the command P to it. So now mm-hmm. when I'm in Apple mail, command P, now it skips the print dialog box. It goes straight to the export as PDF. But by putting it in mail only, that means it won't trigger, it won't look for those words if I'm in some app other than mail. Right. You know, uh, another good example of this for me is I use craft 
for my team. Like we share documents and, you know, future labs content and stuff I'm working on is in a um, craft uh, database because it's very, uh, very easy to share and collaborate on. But um, what we do, because I gave everybody in the team access to the database, uh, they craft creates what they call deep links to these documents. So I can just, you know, give my pal on the team a link to this, a, a deep link to a specific document, say, hey, here's the Monday newsletter for the labs. Can you please just take a look to make sure I didn't make say something stupid? And uh, I give him the deep link. He can click on it, go straight to it, and solves the problem. But Craft does not have a keyboard shortcut for that. Uh, I don't know why. You know, it seems kind of silly to me. Uh, but I was able to create one because I'm using the menu bar command, create deep. They've got one saying copy deep link. And so in Craft, I've created one. And I just used control D for that. And it works fine. So you can start adding to this list every time you see something that's not working for you. And I find it tremendously useful. Like if you find yourself annoyed by having to go to your mouse to click a menu bar item uh, frequently, you know, no matter, let's say you work in Excel or, you know, you write documents with pages or whatever you do to pay for your shoes. And you, you, you're like, Hey, I'm in the flow. And all of a sudden I got to like fiddle around with a mouse. And it's always to click this one menu bar command. Well, this create a keyboard shortcut using this feature. And uh, I think it really can help improve productivity. So I, I'm a big fan of this, this whole system. And that's the easiest way to do it. And the way everybody has is already on your Mac. You don't need to buy any extra software or learn anything. But you can go further. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of Keyboard Maestro. Uh, Keyboard Maestro does this as well, where it can trigger a menu command. But what Keyboard brings to the table is the ability to chain them together, mm-hmm. right? So uh, because Keyboard Maestro can do anything. So you can say, you know, go to the file menu and click new and then wait a half second and then click this button in the menu and then type this word in and then save it to this directory. And so you can like create real automations with it. Whereas with the Mac system, you can just create a keyboard shortcut to do one thing. With Keyboard Maestro, you can do a collection of things. Um, as an example, my Grammarly keyboard script um, it starts with going to the menu and clicking copy, but then it goes to a website. Then it waits for a few seconds. Then it presses a button that matches the new document picture and Grammarly, and then it pastes it. You know, so it does a bunch of things together in a chain. Um, uh, so if you really want to like go nuts with this, I'd recommend looking at Keyboard Maestro. But you know, at the first level, there just like taking a little problem in an app that requires you to press a menu bar and making a custom keyboard shortcut for it is just really easy. And like I said, watch the video I'm going to make on print to PDF. It'll show you where to go and then just keep your eyes open for stuff you can automate. Yeah. It's a, it's a fantastic tool. I have loved, I mean, they've done it as long as I can remember Apple printing the little symbols next to the commands to like teach you what these things are. And you can like look down at the keyboard and see those same commands. And this system puts you in the driver's seat of all of it. And the the best part is your shortcuts that you make end up in those menus as well. So if you don't quite remember what you did, you don't have to dig through settings again. It shows up in the menu. It goes both ways. And it's it's I think keyboard shortcuts are like the top of my list of like once you become used to the Mac interface, like okay, I want to become more efficient at my computer. Like 
keyboard shortcuts because it's so much faster if you're typing an email and you want to go send it instead of taking your hands off the keyboard and finding your mouse or finding your trackpad, just hitting command shift D and it sends, right? And after a while, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have this experience, your fingers just know what they are, right? Like if you quizzed me on Mac OS keyboard shortcuts, I probably wouldn't do that well, you know, if it was like a written yeah. test. But if you sat me down with the MacBook Air and gave me the test, I could do it because you just, they become ingrained. Yeah, muscle memory mm-hmm. kicks in. It's a big thing. And that gets, I'm going to talk about that in a minute because there's a definitely a, a an ideal way to learn these things. But um, just keeping in your mind, first of all, making one so you understand that you have the ability to do it because it's hypothetical until you make one. But then once you realize that it, it's very empowering and then just keeping your mind open to other places you can use it. Uh, I know some people are going to ask, well, what about shortcuts? Can you do this? I don't want to use Keyboard Maestro. I want to use shortcuts. You can do it with shortcuts, but in order to do it, it requires better touch tool um, because Apple did not give keyboard shortcuts of menu items as a built-in feature of shortcuts. In fact, we asked Apple about that when they announced shortcuts, and they were, uh, you know, they were very, a little... um, a uh, little little dodgy about that question, but I, I feel like they just didn't, you know, that they don't really see shortcuts that way. They want it to be even more basic, but the better touch tool guy, you know, just came screaming in and, mm-hmm. and added all those features. So you can do it with, <laughs> yeah. with shortcuts too. Although I find it more um, easy to make with key, with keyboard maestro and more reliable. Um, it's a little early days with shortcuts and, and the, this, this type of thing, but you can also, um, create keyboard shortcuts for individual shortcuts, which is uh, much better with Ventura than it was before. That was a little unstable last year. This year it seems to be working a lot better. So that's just one more way you can use keyboard shortcuts. So I I think the easiest way is using the Mac OS system settings. But if you want to go to next level, look at something like shortcuts or keyboard maestro, then the next step is, of course, triggering them. Well, they're keyboard shortcuts, so you trigger them with a keyboard shortcut. I mean, what else is there, right? But there is more you can do with it. Um, uh, once you keyboard shortcut something, then it also allows you to use that keyboard shortcut in other tools. A, a good example is window management for me. I have uh, Moom, which is a great app to like push your windows around the screen. And in the custom settings of Moom, you can set... Uh, you know, custom views like far left or upper right quadrant or whatever you want to do. Well, in Moom, you can also wire those to keyboard shortcuts in the Moom app. So I've done that. And for me, it's almost like a, um, it's like a, uh, it's like a video game, you know, uh, a lot of video <laughs> games, they use JKL, like mm-hmm. for, I think, um, well, I know you use it for ripple editing, but also they use it for like walking forward or, or strafing and, yeah, video game people use keyboards that way. So what I do is I use the control and command key combined with JKL and the keys around them to create window setups. And those are all created through Moom. But um, while I can trigger them with the keyboard, um, I can also like have a keyboard maestro open an application and then have keyboard maestro press command control J and it'll set the window. So it's actually keyboard maestro triggering a shortcut in Moom. It's a little weird, right? Kind of second level. You got to have both apps running to make it work right. And while you can, you know, manually set uh, screens in keyboard maestro, it's, I find it easier with Moom and I like the way Moom does it better. So 
And I, I always have those apps running, so it's not a big deal to me. But uh, once you start using keyboard um, shortcuts, think about other automation tools that may want to press those keyboard shortcuts for you so you automate the process of pressing the keyboard shortcut. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if you never thought about it before, I know it sounds weird, but once you try it, you're like, you'll get hooked. Like, And this is another thing you can do in shortcuts very easily so long as you have uh, the Better Touch tool uh, extension installed. And then we did a whole show on Stream Deck. Well, one of the best buttons on the Stream Deck is keyboard shortcut, you know, press a keystroke, you know. So like once you program that, you can also stick it on a button on your Stream Deck. And uh, I don't know, I, I am I ha- I am a big believer in keyboard shortcuts. Amen. <laughs> yeah, the, the Church of Keyboard Shortcuts. That's right. Convenes. And I do wish that shortcuts would gain access to them. I mean, we're now the was the second year of shortcuts. Yeah, yeah. You know, we all lost a year somewhere around 2020. But yeah. I, I was hoping to see that in Ventura, and we didn't get it. So you know, maybe maybe next year with the new version of macOS, then because that really feels like sort of uh, a logical next day, step for shortcuts to kind of become what you're talking about with like keyboard maestro and better touch tool, like a utility that can manage other things for you more directly. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah, there's some ways around it in, in instances, but having that natively built in, like I could see a version of shortcuts that basically takes the keyboard shortcut stuff out of settings and either moves it into shortcuts or replicate some of it there. So you can kind of manage that all in one place. And I think that it would give people who are automating on the Mac um, even more power, right? Because then you could chain it together with the other things like you can in Keyboard Maestro. Yeah. A couple tips I would like to give you. First is pay particular attention to menu bar commands. If you are using your mouse to go up there repeatedly, first look to see if there isn't already a keyboard shortcut. Like Stephen was saying, uh, Apple puts the shortcut next to the command. In fact, earlier I hesitated when I talked about the export as PDF having the command P shortcut because I had created it. And I realized halfway through the sentence, everybody listening is not going to see that because they haven't created that, but I see it because I created it. But you know, so pay attention to the keyboard shortcuts that already exist from Apple. And a lot of times that'll solve the problem for you. Just learn it. And then, and then if not add one, because you can. And then the other trick to it is only learn two or three, three at most at a time. Don't, if you listen to this and say, ah, I get it, I'm going to go, and then you get a list of 20 and say, I'm going to do all these 20 keyboard shortcuts. You won't learn any of them. you got to start with you know the most irritating thing that you have and make a shortcut for that until it becomes muscle memory and then make another one. But don't try and make a bunch of them because you won't learn them. At least that's my experience. Yeah, or just or just roll them out over time, right? If you if you yeah. do like ten of them on a Thursday, like it's gonna you're, they're not gonna sink in. You got to roll them out. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Stop drowning in email. Go to SaneBox.com/mpu and get a twenty five dollar credit on any plan. You will thank me for it later. SaneBox is an email service, but it's so much more than all the other email services because it works off the web and it can attach to any platform. So if you've got uh, Gmail, 
Sandbox can work for you. If you've got iCloud, it can work for you there too. And whether you like to use this app or that app, it doesn't matter. Sandbox brings its tool set to you. And what are those tools? Well, the begin, it's sorting. It will look at your inbox and sort it for you. So they have a folder, for instance, called Sane Later. And things that you can deal with later get automatically sorted in that. So you don't have to look at them when you look at your inbox. And you can create custom ones if you want. They also have a folder called Sane Black Hole. If you move an email message in there, uh, you never get another email from that person or entity again. It's awesome. Uh, you have the ability to snooze emails, which is actually very powerful. Like I've got one called Three Days. And some emails come in. I don't have time to deal with them right now, but I want to look at them again in three days. I put them in there. I don't see them for three days. And and then there's my favorite feature, Sane Reminders. So if I get an email from Steven or I send one to Steven, I want to make sure he replies to me. I just blind copy it to one week at sanebox.com. If he doesn't reply, I get a reminder from Sanebox. It's a great workflow for keeping on top of email. And it's more than filtering. You can also add Dropbox attachments to Dropbox and other cloud services. And the pricing is as low as $4 a month with a 14-day free trial. So go to sanebox.com slash MPU. Get that $25 credit on any plan. If you get the $4 plan, you're going to get several months for free. And we have a lot of listeners that try Samebox and love it and sign up for it. Uh, they really like MPU listeners because we get the value proposition of Samebox. It is so helpful. I love opening my inbox and just seeing the emails that are most important to me and having the Samebox robot do all the work for me behind the scenes. If email is giving you frustration, Samebox is the answer. Go check it out. Samebox.com slash MPU. And thank you, Samebox, for all of your support. So, David, we've gotten a couple of uh, emails and messages over the last several months about sort of the future of apps. And I, I thought it was interesting to tie it in with some of the automation discussion we just had uh, about taking the core functionality of an app and making that visible to automation. You know, I've been deep in this Apple software history thing for the calendar for the last several months. And in the process of researching that, I rewatched a bunch of old keynotes. And the iOS 8 keynote really jumped out at me. Uh, that's the one where they started adding extensions into iOS applications. So you could be in an application and you could basically use like part of another application and have its own little window. And that's really changed a lot over the years on iOS. Yeah. But this idea of kind of these building blocks of taking one application and then just taking specific tasks within it and chaining them together and I wanted to know what you thought about that as a, as a future direction that developers could take with their apps. Instead of thinking about them as a monolithic thing, thinking about them as maybe a collection of tasks or services to be used elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, and this uh, the, the reason I was thinking about this is from a slightly different angle. It's the shortcuts integrations that we got with uh, the latest software updates where now it's so much easier for app developers to donate actions from their applications to mm -hmm. shortcuts. So like if you want to use Pixelmator to blur an image, but you want to use something else to save it or reformat it, as this these tools roll out, I think it's going to be really easy for developers to tie into it. And then the other piece of this that's been on my mind is just the general direction of app development. And the poster child for this is Carrot Weather, where you can design your own UI in applications. Yeah. And it just feels to me like we're kind of at this crossroads where 
future apps are not going to be like past apps, you know, and, and the devices are stronger. The developers are getting a lot more curious about component, you know, elements of their applications. And then Apple's building a framework via shortcuts that allows you to tie these pieces together. It's just like, what are apps going to be like in five or 10 years? And I know this is kind of a navel gazy segment, but I think it's something we should all be thinking about. Yeah, Apple's, the the app shortcuts they added is a really interesting thing. I think Apple's intent there is to really lower the bar for entry into shortcuts, not only for developers, but also for users, right? Like if you open it up and it has a list of your apps and a list of basic shortcuts, like we talked about on the show where we covered it, you can go from there. I think that's good. And I think that's an admirable goal because automation, like the first automation someone builds is the hardest, right? The first cut is the deepest, kind of a, I'm sorry. Uh, but um, it's, I feel like there's more they could do there. And some of that is on developers, right? Like even now, what, a month into iOS 16, a month and a half, six weeks or something. Yeah. That list, at least on my phone, still isn't like richly populated. There's still a lot of developers who could do a lot more. And I really think it's the key is, I think we're kind of approaching from different directions in this conversation, but I think the key is take an app and what it does and like break it down into its component parts and then expose those to the user in different ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at notes, we talked about this last week, but we didn't go through the list. Here are the actions for notes. Delete note, find note, close note, open note, open note account, uh, show notes folder, move notes to folder, add tags to notes, remove tags, change note settings. And that's half the list. I just read you half the list, you know? Yeah. I feel like that stuff is coming. But I also feel like you're right. Um, developers are breaking it down to the component pieces inside applications, at least the more interesting developers, the people I think at the front of this wave are. Hmm. So we're going to have a way, hopefully, to make customizations to our apps inside the apps, but we're also going to have a way to do that via shortcuts. Yeah. I think we're in the middle of something here. I'm, I'm not sure how it all pans out. The other piece of this that is on my mind is just the whole privacy element of it. As people are becoming more aware of the issues of privacy. And like I, I was researching this week when we were um, kind of going through the notes, how much money this has all cost Facebook, you know, over uh, Apple cutting out the advertising, you know, hook last year. And suddenly apps have to actually give you a service rather than sell your eyeballs. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think, um, you know, we've had, like I said, multiple emails on this from listeners asking where this is all going. And uh, I'm, I don't think any of us really know for sure, but it is definitely changing. Yeah, John and, and Federico over at Mac Stories have talked about the customization angle a lot. And I, I do hope that that trend continues. The way I think about customization, there's really a couple of levels you have. You mentioned Carrot Weather. Carrot Weather is like the example in my mind. Of like, yeah. I can make this app look the way I want it to look and show me the data that I'm interested in. I'm a weather nerd, so I have it all turned on, right? Like, <laughs> my yeah. Carrot Weather is like a mission control to launch the space shuttle. Yeah. But but there's also customization in terms of capability, right? And that I think about something like 
toolbars in macOS, where you can right-click in a toolbar in most apps, like in Safari or Finder or Mail, and you can change what buttons appear up there, right? So if certain actions in Finder are really important to me, I can customize the Finder to better suit my needs. And people don't think about that as customization. Also, that's been there since the beginning of the OS X era, just about. Yeah, yeah. But customization and like sharing components of workflows, like it's not just cosmetic. And I think it's easy to kind of fall into that rabbit hole because that is fun. Like it's fun to make your apps look the way you want them to look and choose the icon and do all those things. But customization can also be a productivity boost if you can pare down your commands to what you really need on a daily basis. Yeah, and then it also starts to combine with the operating system. I mean, Apple is making a bunch of changes. I think focus mode clearly shows the way here. You know, And the ability in a focus mode to set different conditions for applications you know, just looking here, like I'm going to go, I've got my podcasting focus mode turned on right now. But as focus filters become more common, you can have applications customize their appearance based on what focus mode you're in. I mean, I, I just, I really feel like there's something here. And, you know, getting back to what I consider the most important thing for people that are trying to take advantage of technology in terms of like staying on target with what they're working on, this stuff is all very positive. And there's not a lot of positive news these days. Most applications really are designed to try and get you to spend a bunch of time in them and, um, you know, see all their ads. And uh, this is all stuff that actually can help you get your work done. I, I'm, I'm kind of positive about it, but I'm positive at it from the, um, the Apple ecosystem. You know, I mean, because I feel like Apple gets it. I mean, there's obviously things Apple does that I don't agree with, but uh, in general, the theme of you know making the software be software and not ad platforms is something I'm I'm very much behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see a lot of that tension even within Apple itself and its own apps. Right, they just went through yeah. this big mess in the App Store with ads, and rumors say they're going to do ads in, in Maps starting next year. And so there's there's always tension there, and even for a developer that's not like bent on keeping you in their app as long as possible, right? They want to make as full featured of an experience as possible. So when you are there, it is as useful to you as possible. And I'm not against that at all. I mean, apps should be full featured. But when we talk about this idea that you should be able to, uh, you know, get your work done in a bunch of different ways, if I'm an app and I donate a bunch of intents to shortcuts, in a way, users aren't using my app as much. They're still interacting with it and they're still maybe dealing with data inside of it, like like the notes ones that you rattled off, right? If I use shortcuts yeah. to create a new note, I'm not spending time in notes, I'm spending time in shortcuts. Yeah. But to me, as someone who is interested in this stuff, that makes an app almost more sticky because then I can build workflows atop it. And you know, one thing we talk about when we talk about various task managers or email clients or calendars or whatever One thing we don't talk about enough, I think, is when you switch tools like that, not only you're starting over with any customizations you have in them, but you're also starting over with any automations you have built atop them. And so there's a lot of factors here, right, in in terms of keeping uh, a user in an app and keeping them engaged and all those things. But um, I think there's lots of different ways that that can be done that are 
ultimately most useful to everybody, but especially the end user, which is what matters at the end. Yeah. I like back in like 2005 ish, you know, I was looking at, you know, coming at Apple programming, you know, because when I grew up, we programmed in machine language or basic, there there weren't a lot of tools available in the seventies and eighties for nerdy kids like me. But now of course, everything has these APIs and it's really a lot easier to build apps. And I know, I know there's developers out there now just cringing, but you in general, it is easier in the sense that you have access to tools that do a lot of the work for you. But I realized then that what I really wanted to do was to take existing apps and bend them to my will. You know, I didn't have time to make apps. I couldn't make a task manager of the caliber of OmniFocus or even something less than OmniFocus. But I did have the time to make something like OmniFocus work harder for me. So I spent a lot of time learning like Apple script and ways to try and make these things talk to each other. And I guess what I'm heading for is I feel like that trend is accelerating without people realizing it between shortcuts, between component based applications, between uh, focus modes and having focus filters on there's now multiple vectors for you, the user without getting your hands dirty in Xcode. Uh, however, to make these apps work better for you. And I think that is uh, something that we're going to be paying attention to on this show. I'm going to be paying attention to it in my content. I know Steven is as well. But that that is a trend coming forward. And maybe we're just kind of making a declaration here that as users, as Mac Power users, you need to be paying attention to that. You know, Find apps that can serve you under your terms. Like uh, OmniFocus is an example. They used to be a sponsor years ago, but you know they're not anymore, but I still use it and I really like it. One of the things I like about it is they have this idea of custom perspectives. Well, um, you can create a list that's based on very particular criteria that you set. With this new version 4 they've got coming out, you can set it up so you have one tap away from that on your phone, all those lists. And then you can get to whatever, whether it's you know your gardening list or your contract list or whatever. And that is an example, you know. Uh, all these applications that are picking up focus filters so you can say i go in work mode and just show me this list of email or this calendar or this task list same thing this component trend is there in a lot of different ways i know i sound preachy i just heard myself in my head but uh, (laughs) there's just there's a lot there for us and uh, i wanted to address it here and uh, you know we'll talk about it more in future content in relation to specific apps but uh, if you're out there just using an app because you've been using it out of habit, I would encourage you to look for ways to find the components in it and find ways to make it work harder for you. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by our friends over at Electric. When you're leading a small business, it's not all glamorous. In fact, there's a lot of times you're doing things like trying to find a laptop that got lost in the mail, going out to a new remote worker. Or dealing with some other technical emergency. Normally, when you have other things to do, it's not that you're not well-equipped to deal with these things, but it's just time to move on as a boss. The team over at Electric know small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. So instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, 
or setting up employee laptops or answering never-ending IT questions, well, you can focus on building your business. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. Delegation is super important in a small business. It's a lesson that I've had to learn over the years with Relay. And with Electric, you can focus on what you need to focus on and let Electric handle the IT stuff. For MPU listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beat Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. There's a link in the show notes. Once again, that's electric.ai slash MPU. That's electric.ai slash MPU. Go there now to get your free pair of Beat Solo 3 headphones for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the show. Steve, we got so much feedback. So much. So much feedback. First, we heard from Chris. I purchased iStat menus after listening to you guys talk about it. Love it, but I could use a little help. Could you talk about and publish a guide to notifications? Oh, it would be so easy, right? Notifications. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, Chris is dealing with the problem a lot of us are, right? Uh, Apple has made a notification system that is easy for app developers to tap into Hooray, that's great. Make it an easy win so people can add notifications they want to their apps. But they also have created a system where it's easy to add notifications to your apps. And (laughs) as users, the problem we hit is um, there is a sweet spot for notifications, right? If If you have too many notifications turned on, you might as well not have any turned on because you're not, you're just going to dismiss them all and not pay attention to them. If you don't have the notifications on that you need, then they're not doing you any good, right? You're not, if you don't get the information you need via notification. So you've got to find that area in the middle where you're just getting what you need, but nothing more. And I will tell Chris, I have no notifications turned on from my step menus. Nope, me <laughs> so neither. that's the way I solved it there, you know, but I, I think that uh, this is kind of a good discussion point, you know, about notifications. We've covered it on the show a few times in the past years. Maybe we should do it in a future uh, feedback episode. It's probably not enough for a whole show, but um, my goal with notifications is to find that sweet spot and be aware of it. You know, what is it that I want to see and what is it that I don't need to see? And one of the tricks I use in this on all my devices is I judge notifications. I don't just dismiss them. When I see notifications come out, like, did this need to be a notification to me? Right. And uh, there are apps I love that want to give me way more notifications than I need. And I just dismiss those. And, and actually my favorite thing to do is go into the notifications preference and just turn all notifications off on that app. I mean, I'm really stingy about them, but if you can do this and find that sweet spot, notifications are super useful. Like, you know, you find out that your wife got a flat tire, right? (laughs) You know, or, you know, you find out something important related to something you're working on, you know, a deadline or something like that. But I do think um, uh, Apple does not give users much guidance on this. I do think they make it easy for you to manage. It's a lot easier than it used to be. But um, it's also very fiddly because there's different vectors of notifications, whether they badge you or put a banner up on your screen or whatever. But this is something we all have to struggle with. And I think the solution really is at the user level, you know. I remember once I made Katie really mad. I talked about how I would fix notifications on the toilet. 
<laughs> no. is, that, is that bad? That's bad. That's bad. Katie's probably right. I shouldn't have said that. Don't probably. worry. I just said it again. I just said it again. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like you. I don't have notifications on for iStat menu. With yeah. uh, my Mac Studio, I basically run iStat menu just to keep an eye on things. It's there as a diagnostic if I feel like something's not doing what it's supposed to do. But with, with Apple Silicon, I really... Uh, I don't feel like I need to know when I hit a certain variable, like, oh, I'm using this much of my GPU or CPU or whatever, because this computer's really good. And uh I'm like you, I just, I don't I don't feel like it rose to the the need of of notifications like some other things do. Yeah. And you can like there's so many ways they've done such a good job of allowing you to um to to modify these. Like on the Mac, right-clicking a notification gives you options to to mute them, turn them off, go to the preferences so you can fine-tune it. But w- what you want to do is constantly be doing that. And if you just take a little time to do that, I'd say over the course of a couple weeks, every time notifications come in, take a look at them, You know, uh, disable the ones you don't want to see, enhance the ones that you want to see, um, you'll be surprised how fast you can wrangle notifications. I don't think this is at all a mission impossible. Um, but I do think that it is something, it's like weeds in the garden. They grow when you add new apps. You know, they say, hey, it's a new app. Don't you want notifications from me? I'm going to be great and help you out. And you're like, okay, you're a new app. And then suddenly you, you just filled up your menu bar or your, your system with notifications from this app. So just be careful about it. And like I said, don't hit the X on notifications. Like I, I, on your Mac, you know, got the little X in the upper left corner. Right click on it and just, you know, make a decision right there whether or not you want those notifications from that app anymore. And then you're good. And in very little time, this stuff gets managed. And you that sweet spot is perfect where a notification comes in. You actually want to pay attention to it because it is something that applies to getting your work done or taking care of your family or whatever. You know, it's important enough to merit it. And then the notifications become your friend. You know, I hear all these people complaining about notifications, but um, I think if you do it right, they can become uh, very useful. We had some feedback from Matthias about the Pestle recipe app. So we we were speaking about. Uh, a couple of different recipe apps a while back, and Pestle is one that is out for uh, iOS, and it just got a, a big uh, update earlier this year. It looks pretty sweet, uh, so it I think it's sort of magic feature. At least the thing that jumped out at me is some uh, some timer stuff, which of course is really important when you cook. And I've seen some other recipe apps adopt the live notifications and the dynamic island stuff. So it like has a counter there and it'll tell you when you need to take your next step. Uh, but Pestle also has uh, a kind of like Apple notes, a handwriting like scanner built into it. So if you have, we all have this, right? You have like your, your grandmother's, uh, you know, green bean casserole written on an index card, like taped to your refrigerator Pestle lets you bring that in and it will do the OCR and and kind of fill out a recipe card for you. So if you lose an index card, uh, the whatever I said, green bean casserole lives on. There you go. Are you a fan of green bean casserole? No, my wife is. And so I, I was I was reaching for something. That's what came to mind. Bless her. 
Uh, that's that's one of my Thanksgiving staples, man. <laughs> um, the uh, you know, it's kind of funny the whole idea of right handwriting combined with uh, data storage. I think it's something that really hasn't taken off in the way that you thought it would. I mean, when they added the Apple Pencil to the iPad, you thought I thought that that would be much more of a thing. Like Apple Notes does it, um, but the, you there are very few apps that like try to contain both of those workflows. You know, it seems like people want to have it digital or they want a handwriting app, but they don't want to combine them. Have you noticed that? Yeah, and I wonder if that's like a historic thing where they were a bit more separate and over time, like Apple's tools and just OCR in general has brought them closer together. But yeah, it's weird. But it doesn't seem like they're closer together. That's the weird thing, right? You know, it's like uh, Amazon just announced the Kindle Scribe, which is coming out, I think, at the end of this month, which is a new Kindle. And I'm a Kindle fan. I read a Kindle every day, but it adds a pen it allows you to write notes on the book you're reading. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure I need that. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm just not sure it would make much difference for me. I might get this. The scribe is really meant to be going after some of these other um, kind of note-taking uh, right. devices like the Remarkable. But but in terms of like on my books, do I need to handwrite a note or can I just tap it out on the screen? Uh, I'm not sure. It seems to me like it might be more trouble than it's worth. And and it does seem to me like that really hasn't taken off. And maybe it's just the way we're wired. Because it's been a while, right? And that never has really taken off. But either way, Pestle, good app. Dennis wrote in about watch time. He just sent me this random tip, which I didn't know. Were you aware of this, Stephen? So if, you're, if your phone, if your watch is turned off, like you turn your watch off, you go to the theater, you know? I I never want to be that guy. Like, Mm-mm. you know, you're sitting there watching Hamilton and an alarm goes off on your watch, right? You know, it's <laughs> like, you just want to be that guy. And because my daughter is, uh, writes a lot of performance. I go to her performances, whether she's producing it or in it. And I definitely don't want to be the guy that has something go off. So I don't just silence devices. I turn them off, right? Um, but occasionally you might want to know what time it is and you've turned your, your watch off. But uh, Dennis wrote in with a tip. If you just press the crown in and it's not immediate. It's after maybe a half a second pause. It puts the time on the screen. If you're, even if your watch is turned off and I've tested it on the ultra, we tested it on my wife's um, like series five. I mean, it just works and it's great. And uh, I mean, I don't need it very often, but if you ever find yourself with your watch turned off, just press in on the crown. Thanks for the tip on this. This gives you the time. Didn't know that. It was news to me. I opened the document and I read this and I thought, oh, look at that. Uh, But it's cool, right? I mean, one of the criticisms, uh, fair criticisms early on with the Apple Watch was you had to like turn your wrist or tap it or something to see the time. And of course, always on display solves that. And this feels like a little bit of an extension of that. Like, yes, even, even if it's off, you sometimes still just really need to know what time it is. That's that's pretty cool. Do you have a favorite watch face at this point? Where where do you stand on the battle of the watch faces? The Ultra really didn't change it. I still mostly use modular or modular compact. And I just want a bunch of information on it. And a bunch of the sort of round Apple Watch faces just don't really don't really work for me. Yeah. I I am using the modular analog face. And I but I've heavily modified it. Like if you 
use it as they recommend it. It's just like, it just barfs color all over your wrist. And um, mine is very much subdued, you know, but it's nice. Like I, I've got right now, cause I'm in a podcasting focus mode. I've got a little like a thing that gives me the time in Memphis and um, you know, just information useful for me when I'm making a podcast, but I, I like analog faces cause I grew up with, analog watches mm-hmm. um, i'm i'm old enough that that was the only <laughs> option and so i i can it's fine with me but uh i agree it, it's not great i did a post at max barkey a few weeks ago about just my general dissatisfaction with complications i think it was zach hall but i'm not sure who somebody over nine to five mac wrote a story about you know we don't get the custom watch races but, you know, he wrote the argument that things could be a lot better if we had just more options with the existing faces and complications. And I totally agree with him. Um, like, for instance, the existing date complication on a rounded face puts the day of the week bigger than the day of the month. Yeah. Which doesn't, you know, the fact that it's Monday, what I need with 50-plus-year-old uh, eyeballs is to see what day it is of the month. I know it's Monday, you know, I don't need that. Generally I'm good enough to know what day of the week it is. Right. But I would like to know what day of the month it is. And it's actually smaller text than it is, you know, and why don't you have options with that? We say, okay, well, here's a complication that just puts a big digit up, which is the day of the month. You know, you can do that with Dave's, you know, with underscores app with widget Smith, but Apple should have that stuff covered and they don't. Yeah, the the struggle continues with Apple Watch faces. Agreed. Uh, I do have a uh, a potential tip for you, though. Okay. There is a complication app called Better Day. I'll send you the link and I'll put it in the show notes. Where yeah, it, please it do. basically just has a bunch of date and day complications that help kind of offset some of Apple's weirdness around theirs. And it's... It's pretty cool. I've I came across it a maybe a year or two ago and I've had it installed ever since because I I do think it gives you some better options than what comes standard. All right, let the record reflect I've spent my first money of today's recording. <laughs> it's cheap though, right? This is like a couple bucks, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm searching it out right now. Better day. But you know, the fact that this exists I mean Apple should know. It's two bucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at this. I am. Thank you. This is perfect. But the fact that it exists, don't you think that tells you something, Apple? I mean, come on. Is there, is everybody on the watch team under 30? That's my guess. <laughs> you know? They're like, well, I don't know why it needs to be any bigger. I, I used to be that guy. My uh, When I was a young lawyer, I had the smallest font on my screen. Mm-hmm. And all the old lawyers would come in my office and they wouldn't be able to read the screen and I would privately laugh at them, you know? Now I'm that guy. It's karma, baby. It happens. It it comes yeah. for all of us eventually. Christian wrote in about terminal commands and text expander. I had talked about how I use a text file with a list of my favorite terminal commands. And Christian, you know, does it differently. He set this up as plain text, text expander snippets, and he put them in a separate group. And uh, he uses iTerm, but you could use the terminal app for this. I read this email, I thought about it, and I immediately moved all of my terminal commands to text expander snippets. Nice. I mean, this makes so so much sense. And, um, you know, I'm not a huge terminal user, 
And that's the reason why this is so good for me because I don't have them, you know, muscle memory under my fingers. Mm-hmm. And now I don't even need to think about it. I just, I just, and, and I use term T E R M and then the snippet name. And then that way it doesn't crash with anything else. I only use it on my Mac. I mean, you're not going to run terminal commands on your iPad or your iPhone. And uh, <laughs> this is great. So Christian, thank you so much for the advice. Um, and uh, text expander is perfect for this job. You yep. could do it with other apps too. You know, there are other things that will type for you, but you know, text expander is my weapon of choice for this. Yeah, I've got quite a few in text expander. The one I use the most often is kill all doc. So in modern versions of Mac OS, the doc process is in charge of a lot of stuff, like including like uh, spaces, like using a trackpad to go back and forth between spaces, uh, the command tab switcher and some other things. And at least in Monterey, for me, I had some issues with that where every once in a while, I just couldn't move spaces with the gestures. And like basically no gestures were seen. So instead of logging out and logging back in or restarting, kill all doc just restarts the doc process and brings all that stuff back to life. And so that's one that I 100% have in Text Expander. And I can either do it from Alfred because I have the workflow in Alfred to fire off terminal commands from the Alfred window, which is really sweet. Uh, and then I can also, of course, do it in the terminal if I have one of those windows already open, which I don't use it a ton, but there are times where I'm using it kind of heavily. And so that's pretty uh, pretty useful. Yeah, I don't use the dock as much. We keep talking about doing a show on terminal commands, but I feel like it'd be a very difficult podcast for the listeners because they're very detailed and this is not a this is an audio medium, not a visual one. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure it ever makes sense. But uh those of you that have favorite dock or terminal commands, let us know. Maybe we'll do something with that in the future where we, we can figure out a way. Maybe it'll be one of our video shows. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Just go to squarespace.com slash MPU. Now, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. But I really just think about it as the starting place for getting a presence on the internet. It's a dumb idea to put your business or important thing to you on somebody else's platform. You're much better off having your own website. And Squarespace makes the whole thing so easy. With Squarespace, you can stand out with a beautiful website, engage your audience, and sell anything, your products, services. You can even sell the content you create. And Squarespace has got you covered for all of that. With Squarespace, you can sell your products in an online store. Now, whether you sell physical or digital products, it doesn't matter. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. You can get started with best-in-class website templates and customize it to fit your needs. It's as easy as browsing the category of your business to find the perfect starting place, and you can just customize it with a few clicks. You do not need to hire a web developer to make a Squarespace site look beautiful. And if you want to blog, you can get blogging with Squarespace. They've got a powerful blogging tool to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. You'll be able to categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. So whether you're getting married or starting a great new business, Squarespace can be there for you. Uh, I've been a customer of Squarespace for many years. I am, I guess what you'd call a Squarespace whale. I have multiple sites. My family has multiple sites and we all like it because they're just so easy to set up. And we recommend it to our friends too, because it works so well. It's just 
the best place to go to make a, a presence on the internet. Anyway, if you're interested, go to squarespace.com slash MPU to get that free trial with no credit card required. Share it with your family, share it with your friends, tell them to set up a presence on the internet and let them see just how easy it is. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use that offer code MPU to get that 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the Mac Power users. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So in a recent episode, we spoke a lot about storage and backup in 2022. Uh, that was yeah. MPU 654. You can go check that out. And a lot of people wrote in talking about Arc, which is a it's an app that's been around for a long time on the Mac. I think it's available on Windows now too. And Arc is a backup application that you puts you in control of where your data goes. And so this is for cloud backup. You know, you're still going to run Time Machine to a, a hard drive or an SSD that's you know plugged in and taped <laughs> under your desk. Yeah. Uh, but Arc hooks up to a lot of cloud services like S3 or Dropbox or Google Drive. Backblaze has one called B2, which is just a storage bucket you can put things in. And Arc runs and it keeps track with changes and it, it uh, packages and encrypts those files and backs them up to whatever service you want. And then you can use Arc to recover those. Some of these tools also have their own recovery recovery options like uh, you could just go to s3 and download something i guess but it's because it's encrypted end to end using arc to encrypt and decrypt that data and for people who maybe they have access to a lot of dropbox storage for whatever reason or they don't want to use a tool like backblaze and want something more specific arc does give you basically full control over that stuff yeah it was like forehead smacking when these emails started arriving that i didn't put that in the outline and Sorry, gang. Sometimes it's how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the problem is I just don't use Arc. Years ago, I tested it, but it never stuck with me because at the time I was looking at it, the Amazon cloud storage was so expensive. You know, Backblaze at $6 a month is a super good deal compared to what it would have cost to do it in Amazon. And I haven't compared the prices recently, but I do get that uh, people wrote in, Jade and Mark particularly wrote in about this, and they want that customization and that control that you don't get when you use a service in a, you know, kind of prepackaged service like Backblaze. And um, so I get it. Uh, it's, but that's an option out there. If you really want to have control over how your cloud-based backup works, ARQ ARC is the way to go. And they've been around forever. I mean, we did Mac Power Users episodes on ARC like 10 years ago. I mean, this is not like new experimental software. It's well proven. We got a bunch of other feedback, too, on that show. And I'll, I would boil it down to two questions. One was a lot of people wrote in, because you and I both did a bunch of SSD for our backups, and people were writing and saying, do you really need SSD or can you use a spinning drive? So that's a that's a good question I want to address. And then the other one people were asking is recommended vendor, vendors for both. So let's do the first one first. Uh, SSD or spinning drive. I think that... The best case for SSD is frequently accessed archive data. Like if you've got a drive that isn't big enough to hold your your main working library of data, that's true for me, 
I've got a separate drive that I keep stuff on. Like if I'm not working actively on a field guide, I keep the files related to it on the archive drive because I, I don't want to run out of room in those field guides each use up a tremendous amount of data. So I just keep the ones that I'm currently working on on the internal drive. Um, so for that, I like having the external as an SSD and that way moving data back and forth is very fast. Or even if I need to access something off of it, like quite often I'll, I'll want an asset off a field guide. Like I did something, a recording on something years ago that I want to use in a new one somehow. I can access it without moving it because it's on SSD, whereas a, uh, you know, waiting for the spinning drive to get going and, and get the data is going to make me a little crazy. So that's a place where I think if you're going to spend money on SSD, that's where you start. The second piece of this is things like, you know, if you're going to have it like just an archive backup of, or just a running backup, you know, like, you know, um, a time machine backup, do you really need SSD? No. Uh, but I got a good deal on one and I don't regret it, but that is definitely a luxury that you don't need. I agree. I think if it's something you are using a lot, moving things on and off, SSD is sweet. Um, I think with backups, especially if you're doing like a archive drive that you store off site, and we talked about that on 654, spinning drives are great for that because they can be really large capacity and it doesn't matter so much of the performances maybe uh, less yeah. than an SSD if you're not actively you know, actively using it as a drive, right? A time machine backup or some other clone is really only there in case you need it. And so plugging it in to update it every once in a while, if it's offsite, no big deal if it takes a little bit longer. Yeah, and that's what I've done. For the ones that are offsite, I'm using spinning drives for that. But the uh, the time machine, I did move over to SSD. And two extra benefits for me, but not necessarily everybody, is that it, it's dead silent. You know, you don't have to hear it um, you know, spin up randomly. And if you record a lot, you don't want that to happen. And it's also, it doesn't make any vibration. So, um, there are some benefits for me, but that's really just me trying to justify spinning, you know, three times what I would have on a spinning drive, but, uh, it's, it's kind of nice, you know, <laughs> what Ferris Bueller say, you know, if you have the means, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but, uh, yeah, you don't need that for your, uh, your time machine, but I would recommend, if you're going to have an archive drive and if you can swing the cost, get an SSD, you will not regret it for that. In terms of vendors, I, I think Stephen, you have infected me with OWC disease, but I, cause I have really started to rely on them over the years. I would buy the spinning drives on Amazon. There were a couple different vendors, you know, the usual suspects, Western digital uh, was what I had bought a lot of drives from. And they have like the plastic housing, like four terabyte drive for like a hundred bucks on Amazon, which I think is great. And it's bus powered, which is fine. But um, recently, you know, they were getting old and with spinning drives, you really don't want to keep them forever because that's when they start to fail. And so I uh, replaced them and I bought two of OWC um, external drives. They've got a metal case. I've never had a drive built as solidly as these are. And, you know, it comes with a power supply. It's bigger, but the drive in it is better rated. It's like, um, you know, it's like, uh, what do you say? Archive rated. I forget. Right. The, Enterprise or something. Yeah. And, you know, each one cost me a couple hundred bucks. They're both two. They're both six terabytes. 
which is enough to store all of my data. And I keep one offsite and one here and I rotate them. And so I, I have become a fan of OWC. It's a little bit more money, but you know, it's your data. So why risk it? And, um, and I've been pretty happy with that. I mean, if you had asked me a couple of years ago, I'd say go to Costco and get the cheapest one you can find. And I, I've become a little bit more, uh, we say penny wise and pound foolish or the opposite of that, um, or when it comes to the data storage. What about you? Yeah, the only place I still have spinning drives is my offsite backups. Everything else is is all SSD. And as far as preferences with a hard drive, I've said this for a long time, like whatever the best deal you can find is that fits your needs and budget because all spinning hard drives will fail. And most of the time they have very similar warranties and, you know, get what works for you in terms of price and and features, right? If you want something that's got USB-C versus USB-A or, you know, the capacity, whatever. I don't have a lot of allegiance to any one particular hard drive brand. Now, we mentioned Backblaze, and they do a thing every few years where they do a hard drive data and stats blog post where they, like, analyze their drive failures because, as you would imagine, Backblaze has what I assume is a bajillion spinning hard drives running their service. As you can always go in there and like see what's going on if you want to, but uh, but in terms of a single brand, I don't feel like I have a strong allegiance e- either way, really. Yeah, and the other thing I would say though is look at drive speed. Like Stephen mentioned, yes. USB C, um, the OWC drives I bought, they back up all my data like in within hours. Whereas the old drives I used to use with it was a USB A cable to one of those weird. Uh, drive USB, you know, plugs. It's got like a little kind of like divot in the center of it. Yeah, it's mini B, I think. There's some weird name for that. It's bad. Yeah, (laughs) but it it would take like two days to do a backup, you know, and these new ones are so fast. I'm sure you can get non-OWC drives that go just as fast, but uh, if you're going to use it for an offsite backup, uh, making a a two-hour process to do it means you're more likely to do it. So it's probably worth it to get that yeah the faster drive and, and hard drive hard drive speed is dependent on the interface like we just said yes. but but also the rate at which the drive spins so the most common speeds are 5400 rpm and 7200 rpm there are things that go way faster but in the consumer space that's basically it and uh that 7200 rpm is definitely going to be noticeably faster than the 5400 you may trade off a little bit in longevity but for me it's well worth it because uh like you said, if it takes six hours to do it, you're less likely to do it. Steven, I think we've uh, got a few feedback episodes without mentioning stuff we're playing with. So I think it's time to check in on stuff we're playing with. You want to go first? Sure. I mean, all I do is pack calendars. That's all I do anymore. Uh, but I <laughs> so did. you with a ta- tape gun. Yeah, but I got all uh, sorts of stuff. It, it's like uh, staples or something in here. I got so much packaging. and I forgot to mention earlier, I got my calendar from you. I'm very excited. It was very hard for me because I heard you saying that some people don't turn the pages over until the month hits. Mm-hmm. So I've decided I'm going to do that. So I've, I've got it here in a drawer and I've just not looked at it yet because I'm I'm very tempted that if I open it up, I'm going to look at all 12 pages. So I'm going to be really doing my best to stick to looking at each new picture at the beginning of each month. But we'll see how I do. <laughs> no promises. That's fine. Uh, but pa- but past that, uh, I've I've spent some time in my HomeKit setup, 
So we spoke about that a few episodes ago. And you talked about the, uh, is it Aquara? Aquara, I think that's how they say it. The Aquara switches, like the little buttons you can put in, and they have a a base because they use, I think, Zigbee, and so they need a bridge. Uh, So I talked about, I've got some of those water sensors, but I picked up a couple of those little buttons, and I came up with a great use for them. So Because I wanted to play with them, and I was thinking, what? You know, what could I do? Like, it'd be cool with lights, but like, what would really make life a little bit easier for everybody in the house? And on the HomeKit episode, I talked about how I recently added our garage and our driveway gate both to HomeKit. And so I got a, a set of these buttons, and I they come with like 3M tape on the back, and I tape them to our refrigerator, and one opens and closes the garage, and one open and closes the gate. So before these were on HomeKit, we had like the... You know, like the car, you know, like the garage door openers, like you put on the the visor of your car and they usually have like a, a little, you know, either a couple of double A's or like a little nine volt battery in them. We had extras of those. It's like in the kitchen, like hanging where we hang our keys and it was ugly and, you know, scratching up the wall and stuff. And so when I switched to HomeKit, I put those in the drawer. So, well, they're in the drawer if we need them, but we can just talk to the HomePod. But it was clear that some people wanted buttons still. And so I've got... I've got one with a little car on it and one with a little fence on it. And they were great. Some people being your wife. Right? I, I didn't want to invite her to the bus, but yes. Yeah. Or, or in my case, some, some people meaning everybody except me. Except me. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is neat about these, these buttons, I think we talked about it, but they actually have three modes of input, single tap, double tap, click, I guess really. And then a long press. And so for mine, I set up uh, the double click to open and the single click to close, thinking that if you're trying to close it, that should be easier. And I felt at least with the long press that it was kind of hard to like judge what was a long press or a short press. And so the single and double have worked really well. And I just got my label maker and made little labels for them. And it's been awesome. Yeah, you had texted me that you couldn't get them to work with the home app. Did you figure that out? Yeah, so I added them through the Acara app. It's where you set them up and they had firmware updates and stuff. And I couldn't get the switches to show up in home, even though I in the Acara app, like you go, you jump through some hoops to get it all working with HomeKit. Um, but I had Home Plus 5 uh, on my phone from that HomeKit episode, and I've used it in the past. And it saw them. Of course, instantly, because Home Plus 5 basically exposes more of your HomeKit setup than Apple's app does. And so in just a couple of minutes, I was able to tie the action of clicking or double clicking to gate open, gate close, you know, whatever, whatever action I wanted in HomeKit. And uh, so it's been it's been great. It took me a couple minutes longer than I thought it would. But Home Plus 5 is is so good and it it uh, saved the day once again. Yeah. So if in the home app, they should have shown up for you. And I'll tell you, they're kind of hard to find. So what you do with the new version of the home app, when you scroll down, it shows each room, Mm -hmm. but they won't show up there. What you need to do is tap on the specific room that they're located in. And usually if you go down to the bottom, they are under other. Mm. And the switches are usually show up there. But the, the, the tricky part is, when you go in that new view, because in the new view of the home app, it shows you all rooms if you scroll down, but it doesn't show you all equipment in all rooms. Yeah. And switches are accepted. So the only way you see the switch 
is if you go to the specific room. I, I am not defending that decision, mm-hmm. but I am telling you that if you go in your home app, you'll probably find them at the bottom. And here they are. They're in the kitchen, which is the room I put them in. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, there they are. But the and the setup looks the same. If I do accessory details, it's single press action, double press action. Same as Home Plus 5. Uh, but it's good to know. I I thought I looked in there. Maybe it took them a little while to show up, which I've definitely had with HomeKit before or something like yeah. I need to like reboot the... Well, I think currently like a HomePod Mini has become my uh, gateway instead of the Apple TV. I don't know why that happened, but uh, they're there now. But yeah, it's it's pretty awesome just to have these buttons. They look pretty nice. Again, I labeled them because they look identical. But now they're just, you know, stuck on the fridge and you can walk by and open or close the gate. I've heard from several listeners from the episode that are, are getting a car stuff now. And it just is really kind of great for that kind of problem. You know, mm-hmm. they they have a uh, hub that has an indicator like ring light around it. And I, I don't know if you'd want an extra hub in your house because, you know, I think more hubs is probably bad in terms of causing confusion for the system. But you can drive an indicator light to it. So I was thinking like you could get one of those and put it over the top of those switches and say like, if the gate is open, have it just ring red. And if the gate is closed green or whatever, you know, vice versa. And that would be kind of cool to have an easy system to set up where you can get like an indicator light right there to say what the condition of the gate is. Anyway, think about it. Yeah, that'd be cool. I may, I may do some more tinkering with that. So I'm playing with two things right now. Uh, the first is Freeform. You know, we got the betas out for uh, iOS and macOS. Not on this machine I'm recording on, Stephen, but I've got <laughs> it on my laptop. And uh, Freeform is, uh, I was very curious about it. We're going to probably do something on the show when it releases. But just my early, my early impressions are that it's pretty good. You know, it's not overly complicated. It's made like an Apple productivity app. It doesn't go down all the rabbit holes but it it does a good job at what it does it is not an infinite canvas app i was hoping it would be uh there is a finite canvas but it is Mm. a big canvas and like you can zoom in down to 10 percent and up to 400 percent. so if you're willing to like zoom in far and work at the like most zoomed in level to start with you get like something equivalent to like handwriting on a two by three foot sticky note, you know, when you look at kind of the relative sizes of things. Um, so it, it's big, but it's not infinite. Um, uh, but I think it's pretty nice and I, I like it. I like the the tools they've chosen to put in it. There's some things about, it I don't like, but you know, it's early days and let's give them some time, but I'm playing with that. And if you're on the betas, uh, you can play with it as well. It's there available for you. The other thing I've been playing with a lot lately, and I know we did a whole show on this, but the stream deck plus the stream pedal, since I've, you know, moved into indoor studios, I've made some changes. Like I got rid of the shelf under my computer and I put the stream deck under the center of the computer, whereas before I had it above the trackpad. Mm -hmm. And I think I like it better in the center. I've been doing more work on customizing my buttons and the stream deck pedal with the way my new system set up is in a reliable place. So I've got three buttons I can push with my feet. And man, I'm just digging this. I think it's really good. And uh, I mean, we did a whole show and I don't need to say it all over again, but uh, I really love this uh, combination. And I, the thing that I keep scratching my head over is how come I didn't love the touch bar as much as I love the stream deck? Mm. I, mean, I use the touch bar and, and I, I, I was not a touch bar hater, but it didn't bring me joy and delight the way this, 
Dream Deck does. And I, I can't figure out if it's because it's more buttons or or what. But it seems to me that if I love the Stream Deck this much, I should have loved the Touch Bar more. I'm not sure. Hmm. I mean, the Stream Deck is, as we discussed, infinitely flexible. And you could customize the touch bar especially with something like better touch tool but the stream deck is more a bit more free form and i think for people like us who are in a desktop environment there really was no great touch bar for that right like there was no touch bar option for me using desktop computers for the last five years yeah and if you had a laptop if it was in clamshell mode you couldn't see the touch bar if it was open off to the side maybe it wasn't really that useful over there but i think there's an element to it that it's more customizable and it's more flexible. You know, I, I have mine above my keyboard where the touch bar used to be on notebooks, but yeah. I, I'm in the same boat with you. The touch bar never grabbed me the way the stream deck has not even close. Yeah. And you know, like I always, uh, I have this keyboard with a number pad on it. And one of the reasons historically I like the number pad is that, you know, it gave me a bunch more buttons I could program macros into. And but you always had to remember what is what you know. And for me, they're all app specific. But the Stream Deck, when I open OmniFocus, I get the OmniFocus buttons. I open the Mail app, I get the Mail buttons. And one th- trick I did because I've got the large one with the uh, I think it's thirty two buttons. Yeah, I have I have an extra length of cable behind it, so I can like pull it up and hold it in my hand like a gaming con, you know, like a one of those handheld <laughs> games. And but I've really like come to rely on that. So like when I go to my inbox and mail, I'm just holding that and pushing buttons on it like a game pad and just like fly through my mail in terms of the initial, you know, you know, the initial sort of it. And it's just great. And uh, I, you know, we talked about it on the show. So like I said, I'm not going to like go at length, but I, I think that uh, the stream deck is a, is a good deal. And if somebody out there, wants to do automation or have extra buttons, this is this is the way. Absolutely. It, it's such a game changer. And having, I mean, I'm just looking at mine. You know, we went through both of them. But it's mine's a weird mix, right, of media controls and turning on lights and running timers. Yeah. Like, it can be anything you want it to be because that software is so powerful and you can tie it to Keyboard Maestro, all, all sorts of things. And so, yeah, if you're, if you're a Mac automator and you want to take things to the next level, Stream Deck is a great option. Yeah, and, and you even don't have to be like a capital A automator because so much of the stuff is built in. Like uh, I do a lot of Zoom calls and I use the, they've got built-in actions for the pedal. Like if I hit the center button, my camera turns off. So like with on the pedal, you know, so I can just be sitting there and be like, oh no, you know, whatever. You know, I knew I want to turn the camera off very quickly. I just tap it with my foot and the camera's off. You know, it's just, it's nice. I, I like it. I don't think I'm using the pedal as much as I should really, but uh, I do have it kind of there for in case of fire break glass kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's great. Okay. Well, another feedback show in the books. Lots of great feedback from you guys. Thanks for letting me ramble on about the future of apps and, making apps, uh, you know, work for you harder. I think that's something that we should all be paying attention to. Uh, I, I think I probably, uh, in hindsight, I was a little too preachy there. So sorry about that. Oh, it's okay. It's a feedback episode. Yeah, I know. I do that a lot lately. I got to work on that. <laughs> the, uh, get our merch. Uh, we've got a link in the show notes. Uh, classy tee, classy hood, classy sweatshirt. They all look great. They will make you look better. 
they'll just make you look better. I think I think that's guaranteed that if you wear one, people will be attracted to you and want to like when you go in the coffee shop, they'll be like, "Hey, look at that guy. I think I should buy him a coffee." Right? I'm just saying. You think that's going to happen? I think so. I think you're going to be the most popular person walking down the street. Yeah. What was that beer commercial about that guy that everybody loved? Um, oh yeah. Yeah, you'll be like that guy. Yeah, that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to our sponsor, SaneBox, Electric, and Squarespace. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU, and we'll see you next time.